Mountains, a journey of struggles and stars. As we sat on the summit under bluebird skies, our instructor posed a simple question. What do the mountains do for you? Atop Poster Peak in the North Cascades of Washington, our minds deliberated. Among those present were Rainier Mountain Rangers and Institute Guides. We sat and thought. Thought of longer days, of harder days. I thought of snow-capped peaks and the sight of my frozen breath. After a moment of speculation, many words began to crystallize. Words like challenge or clarity, some of risk and others of reward. As I sat and contemplated, I shook my head in accordance, not fully sold on the idea, but agreeing with what was said. It has been weeks since that question was first posed to me, and still I have deliberated. Deliberated on the difference between my first trips to the mountains and as to why they still beckon me towards their slopes. It is true if I were to be asked that same question years ago, I would have said challenge or humility, for the mountains were the first endeavors in my life to truly challenge me, both physically and mentally. Each time I ventured onto their flanks, the pain in my muscles was equaled only by my gasping for breath or my racing thoughts. Am I strong enough? Do I have what it takes? With those questions, with the pain, came humility and gratitude for those stone giants. Flash forward to this summer, over half a decade of time in the mountains. As I worked and groveled and slogged up the slopes of mountains in the northern Cascades, my mind wandered. Wandered off and on to thoughts of why I was here. I climbed countless peaks with countless individuals, but still didn't have a clue. Through countless struggles, struggles through the night, under the stars, and into warmth of the rising sun. With all the beauty and all the pain, my mind still searched for an answer. Why? Why the troubles? Why the sacrifice? Then suddenly, laying in the back of my Toyota 4Runner, mixed words hit me. What do mountains do for you? Well, Mick, I think I finally have an answer for you, even if it's not the one you were looking for. The mountains have been a path in which my objective knowledge about the nature of reality have coalesced with my personal feelings and experience of that reality. In doing so, the mountains have put a clarity filter on my perspective of humanity and its place within this vast ocean we call the cosmos. You see, for years now, I have studied the scientific models of the universe. Since my late teens, I have searched and searched for the how of things, so that in turn I may discover the why. For I have never been a religious person, nor have I subscribed to a particular faith or paradigm. But like anyone lost in the throes of life, I have spent my days searching for a why. And in that quest of knowledge acquisition, I have looked to science, the unadulterated fact-checker, the nature of things. This search for meaning led me from book to book and from challenge to challenge, from the origin of species to the journey of the universe, from Heisenberg's physics and philosophy to the theories of complexity and quantum spookiness. The more I read, the more I drifted towards the study of cosmology. Unbeknownst to me and in parallel to my personal discoveries of the facts of things are the ventures that have taken me deep into the mountains, each pursuit of knowledge followed by a pursuit of challenge, endlessly consuming my mind and body to this day. 
Cosmology, unlike other science, takes into consideration the human aspect. Where science is concerned with mere facts, cosmology understands that humans are a part of the singular process that we call the universe, not separate from it. That, of course, I now realize is what the mountains have been doing for me all along. The more I have learned about the nature of things, the more I have yearned to be a part of the whole. The more I contemplate, it seems, the more I venture into the mountains. I venture to feel, to breathe, to live. The more I am among the mountains, the more I discover that I am centered, a centering of my place in this vast ocean of reality. The mountains allow me to feel and to touch what is real. They allow me to live in the moment, to exist, to fear, to love, to thrive so that instead of drifting along lost in this sea of reality, I may float carelessly among the waves and cast my mind to the stars. The mountains tell me I am real. I am fragile yet strong. I am alone yet connected. I am different yet ultimately the same. But they also show me that I am human, that I feel and think and dance and sing and love. They are a centering that shows me what is important like a shooting star with its extravagant display of fire across the sky. We too have this short chance, a blink of an eye really, to burn our brightest amidst of sea of endless black. The mountains show me the earth, the stars, the waxing and waning of the moon, and the coming and going of the sun. They calibrate my soul with the diurnal shifts of night and day rather than the endless ticking and talking of our mechanized clocks. They are in a way in which, through this transformative process of climbing, I can align how the world is with why the world does. The mountains show me that we are all one happening, a single, beautifully complex process that started some 14 billion years ago. Each time I venture onto their slopes, I am all at once, all at once mystified by reality and humbled by my own existence. That is what the mountains do for me. What have they done for you? That essay, Mountains, A Journey of Struggles and Stars, was written by yours truly after an Alpine Guides course some years ago. Welcome back to another episode of Mountain Talk. I'm recording this episode outside of Movement Inglewood, so apologies for the random trains, sirens, and or cars driving by. It's been about a month since the last podcast with Alex, um... We recorded that past episode on our drive to and from Vegas for a bouldering trip. And since then, I have been working in Ure, Colorado, um, in the San Juans, doing some ice guiding. And I'll be here bouncing between Ure and Rocky Mountain National Park till about mid-March. It's already 2023, and that's crazy. It has been for a while. Um... But another rotation around the sun. I'm now 35 years young, and it feels quite extraordinary. A couple of life updates. Um, as I said previously, I will be hanging out in Colorado for another six weeks now. And if you're interested in working with me on ice or mixed climbing or prepping yourself for one of the bigger mountains like Denali... Uh, there's still spots available, so reach out or visit alpineinstitute.com for more information there. 
Um, late March, I will be taking my advanced rock guide course over eight days in Red Rocks. Before that time and uh, maybe 10 days afterwards till mid-April, I will be booking Red Rocks trips. If you're interested in multi-pitch rock climbing, um, learning to trad climb yourself or anything like that, please reach out. The Advanced Rock Guide course is an eight-day program. Um, it is the pre-exam to take the rock guide exam and costs something like $4,000. Um, like I've said previously, this podcast will always be free, but if you're interested in supporting this or myself through the adventures, um, you can find my Venmo and or Patreon linked to the podcast notes. Anyways, um, since the turn of the new year, I've personally been focusing a lot on mindfulness and meditation. Uh, it's been a huge influence in my life. Um, and as I stated in episode two, the mind is something that can always be trained for benefits not only in climbing, but in all aspects of our life. Uh, if you're interested in trying the Waking Up app, that's what I use. I will also put a link for a 30-day free trial in the show notes here as well. I think one of the biggest misconceptions of meditation is that all it is is the flow state. I hear a lot of people talking about um, ultra running or climbing or any of those other activities being a meditative process. And it's not wrong to say that it's a meditative process, but it's not in actuality the same. Um, there is a lot of difference between formal practice of meditation and something like flow state, where downhill mountain biking, downhill skiing, rock climbing, bouldering, things like that, where you lose the sense of I or self in flow state. In formal meditation, it is much more important to understand and recognize the arising and passing of phenomenon. That I am a witness here, and after the longer, the more and more you meditate, the more you'll understand the detachment between the rising of phenomenon and the changing of phenomenon. Um, it takes a lot of practice, and again, it's something that we can always train. So I did want to mention it in this podcast as something for everyone to try out themselves and give another link if that's something you're interested in. Please reach out if you have any other questions with that. And if you have no idea where to start, um, the introductory course on the Waking Up app is a huge um, or is an easy way to start. The introductory course starts as short as five minutes a day and I believe progresses up to about 12 minutes a day or something like that. There's also a daily meditation that everyone can join in on on the app, um, and you choose either 10 or 20 minutes. Of course, this won't make you a won't give you Buddha mind in any short time, but it definitely allows me to improve my concentration, um, to subtly understand a lot of my reactivities in both day-to-day -day activities or in conversation. And the first step in changing something is recognizing that it's there. We all have a long way to go, and um, for me, it's been a huge help in my life. So I just wanted to mention that. Um, for the future, after my advanced rock guide course in April, I'm going to be traveling to the coast and probably up Oregon and California coast, hopefully part of it with my girlfriend Katie, until early May, and I will be working the first American Alpine Institute trip on Denali 
which is pretty exciting. There's still spaces available if any of you are interested. And after that, I will just be hanging out in the summer working in the North Cascades and hopefully some in British Columbia. So if you're interested in joining me there, please reach out. Okay, awesome. Show notes are over. This blog post, or sorry, this um, episode is going to be a little shorter. Um, I'm waiting to have a more in-depth training podcast with Alex a couple weeks from now. He is indisposed at the moment with um, some friends in Salt Lake City. So until then, I just wanted to talk a little bit about training philosophies and the different types of blocks that comprise training philosophies for me. So I break most of my training building into five different types. Um, Each of these types of training blocks have their own specific niches, um, what they are focused on, and ideally a different length of time for each of them. So if I'm thinking about building a training program for myself or for others, I need to figure out which blocks are most necessitated for that individual or for myself, and then apply those. Um, And then these blocks are the capacity block, the build block, the specificity block, performance block, and a recovery and or rest block. Now, if you're interested in building your own programs, a couple of resources out there that I have used in the past and still use to this day as a coach for summation um, and or coaching myself is the Triathletes Training Bible by Joel Friel. Um, Much more of endurance-based coaching, but it gives you a great outline of uh, custom programming, how to build a program, how to test yourself, that kind of stuff. As always, Train for New Alpinism and Training for the Uphill Athlete by Scott Johnson and Steve House are great resources if you're interested in that thing. And we have a couple uh, series on the Summation Athletics blog if you're interested. So just head over to summationathletics.com if you're interested in training zones, heart rate zones, and that kind of thing. And maybe in the future we can dive into a little bit more specificity on what those zones are, how to test, etc. But for now, let's just talk about these blocks. So the first and probably most important for people, especially if they've never trained before, is what I would like to call the capacity block. The capacity block is really all it sounds. It is a dedicated length of time to get your body into the method of being able to respond and to sustain the capacity of training. This block for me is typically somewhere between four and eight weeks long. Um, That is also including rest weeks. So a typical training regimen might be two weeks on of work one week of recovery, two weeks on, one week of recovery. That would be about a six-week block. Other people, if you might have had um, a little bit larger base to work with, you might do a three-week on, one-week-off regime. But the capacity block, all it's there for is to modify your behavior so that, one, you make time in your schedule for training, and two, prepping you for the blocks to come. A couple of quick recommendations for the capacity block. Um, Less is more. 
So don't overdo it in the beginning. It's really just teaching yourself to buckle down and to understand what your body is capable of and make a schedule that you are going to complete. It's all about behavior modification um, and preparing your body for what's to come. Next is the build block, most mostly. Um, the build block is just how it sounds. This is where, quote-unquote, the rubber meets the road or the meat and potatoes of your training block. This might be somewhere between 8 and 12 weeks in length, including your recovery weeks. And this is where you're going to build your mass, where you're going to really increase the amount of volume um, of work that you're doing, either in cardiac zones or with strength training. Classic 5x5 strength builds would be here. Um, and this is where you're really going to build an intention into your programming for what you want to do next, right? Um, so these are very generic in my definitions of them because each athlete is specific to what they want to do. If I have someone who wants to strength train with this build, it's going to be much more um, involved with building mass. If I have someone who's trying to run a marathon, this build is going to be much more involved with increasing the amount of volume or the amount of time in the saddle that they are in those cardiac zones. A couple of things to keep in mind in the build phases. They're probably not going to be longer than 8 or 12 weeks, um, especially with your recovery weeks sprinkled in there. Always go less rather than more because you have a long time to go. So in the midweeks, so say if you did an 8-week block, in the fifth, sixth weeks, you're going to have a really, really high amount of volume. You might be in the gym for, you know, 18 to 22 hours a week, something like that. Um, this one is all about consistency and commitment. So don't skip workouts. No matter how bad you feel, you're going to feel better once you get something started. A couple things that helped me out during my first build phases were converting all of my cardio to time in the saddle rather than distances. So instead of saying I have a three mile run, I might say I had 20 minutes or 30 minutes of running to do. That eased up a lot of things for me and allowed me to focus on just being there rather than the intensity itself. Cool. The next block, so we went capacity block, build block, the next block is specificity. Now this can be a little bit shorter in length than typically is, but this is where we're going to take all of that mass and capacity that we've built in the previous two blocks, and we're going to mold that into the specifics of whatever our athlete desires. For here, something like a, in a climbing regime, we might do a build block of lots of 4x4s or endurance building, power endurance building. We might do weighted pull-ups, something like that. In the specificity block, we're going to tone a lot of that generic building and power building down, and we're going to try to morph that into much more um, sport-specific skills. That means climbing on a training board instead of doing max-weighted pull-ups or something like that. Um, a training board is a like, uh, for instance, a moon board, a kilter board, a tension board, things like that. Um, are much more like the activity of climbing itself. And in specificity, that's what we want. We want to get as close as we can to the activity that we're training for, for a certain amount of time. My specificity blocks probably aren't going to last more than six weeks. That's including rest weeks as well. And need to be 
highly curtailed to whatever the specificity of the sport we're trying to do is. If I'm trying to send 513 on a sport climb, or if I'm trying to boulder, boulder V10, my specificity is going to look quite different. If I'm training for an ultra marathon, I'm going to get more and more like the marathon that I'm training for, meaning from the treadmill or from the streets, much more into the mountains themselves. Um, specificity, like I said, is all about making it as accurate to the event that we're training for as possible, but still maintaining some amount of strength training and or training itself to keep that volume, overall volume of training high. So we don't taper off too soon. The next block is our performance block. This is where any of my workouts are going to almost simulate the event themselves. Um, i.e. also be a lot less intense than the event itself. So it'll have more tapers, more recovery, and most of the events are going to be in sync with what the event that I'm training for is. And finally, um, you're going to have to have a taper of a couple weeks or um, depending on the event itself, it depends. Please reach out with questions. If you have specific questions, I can give you specific answers. And as always, um, as a coach for Summation Athletics, myself, myself and Scott, um, we offer one-to-one -one coaching, custom programs, and things like that to really build something for you. But one thing that people miss a lot are the recovery and or rest blocks. Over the last, I don't know, four weeks of my life, I've been really focused on just ice climbing, guiding, hanging out, relaxing, meditation, and I've kind of fallen away from any structured um, training block. Now, this is imperative for all of us. Um, life ebbs and flows. No one can maintain capacity building specificity over the long haul. We need blocks of time where we need to just focus on other things in our lives. And most of all, we need to, re we need to eliminate the structure. Um, for some of us, it'll work more or less. For me, I love these aspects of just like unstructured, having fun, playing, still doing the sports and the specifics that I like, but not to an intensity of any sort of structure. That being said, I'm coming out of a recovery rest structure here. And for the next three weeks, uh, I'm going to buckle down and really focus on trying to do much more of a build for rock climbing. Um, I have some projects I'd like to send in the spring, and I have about six weeks to do that. So I will buckle back down. And after these recovery or rest blocks, it's much easier to jump back into things um, with psych and a little fervor, which is nice. Um, lastly, I wanted to give a couple shout outs to some partners that I've had over the years, and I haven't done this on the podcast yet. As always, I'd like to say that it will remain free and open to anybody, um, and the themes and or subject matter that this podcast goes into are quite varied. Um, so a couple of partners that I've worked with in the past uh, and still do, Lives and Designs, they make some great pants, and I'll have links to the stuff in the show notes. Um, their stretch canvas pant is the burliest pant that I own. I have three pairs of them, one pair specifically to look good in, <laughs> and the other two pairs are just for rock climbing. Um, they last forever, uh, lifetime warranty, that kind of good stuff. So look them up. 
I want to shout out to Borvo Broth. Um, they have an amazing chicken and beef broth. It's all natural and all of the product packaging, both the individual for the broth packaging and the packaging comes in are compostable, which is pretty rad. They're based here in the front range and I've started to work with them as well. Uh, Lacadia ropes out of Arkansas are U.S. made ropes. Uh, they're metered, so every five, well, closer to the ends, it's a little bit more metered, but every five meters or so, there's a meter mark and there's a very distinct middle mark. At first, I was unsure of it, but now the more I've worked with the fern, uh, it's a dry 70 meter rope, uh, the more I've loved it in ice climbing, alpine climbing. And I'll get another one of their ropes to test out for my advanced rock guide course. But huge things to say. Thanks, Pedro, for throwing a rope this way. And um, I've got some links in the show notes if you're all interested. Last but not least, Summation Athletics. We're always looking to train some people. So if you're interested in custom programming, one-to-one coaching or anything like that, please reach out to me and or uh, visit the website. And that's all I got for this episode. I hope you enjoyed the story in the beginning. I think I'm going to start most of my podcast out with a story. And next episode, we're going to dive into a bit more nitty-gritty of training. And I think we're going to talk about um, play um, as it relates to both life and to philosophies and things of that nature so look forward to that reach out on instagram any questions things i need to be talking about things i don't need to be talking about and don't forget to support the podcast via venmo or patreon in the show notes and or uh, on my feed thank you all and i hope it was helpful and if not educational then inspirational until next time and remember we're all in this together